Welcome to Spock the Week Studios. I'm one of your hosts, John the Alba Android, and throughout our series we'll also be joined by my constant companion, Gregor Cameron, uh, the Crabbit Ginger, and for the first couple of episodes we also have our good friend, Stephen Southall-Bain. Back at the start of lockdown, myself and Gregor, with some help from our friend Stephen, created Spock the Week. Originally created for YouTube, we are now bringing you the raw audio to your podcast catcher of choice. If you're new to Spot of the Week, you can still get the video content on our YouTube channel. Just search for USS Alba, all one word, and Recreation Department, all one word. So that's USS Alba, Recreation Department. Also, please consider becoming a patron so we can continue to bring you the best of Spot of the Week. Search for Spot the Week on Patreon.com. Now, without further ado, we will bring you our first ever episode, the pilot episode. Please enjoy. Well, hello everybody, and uh, welcome to Spot of the Week. I'm joined by my fellow crewmates, Gregor Cameron. And Good evening, JJ. And our man in the north, Stephen Settlebane. Peace and long life, Android. So, um, thank you all for tuning in, and this is Spot of the Week, and we're going to go through the most recent topics we can find, and basically go and do a little bit of trek with them. So. The program today is going to consist of three parts. First of all, we're going to start off with empathic episodes. So what we've done today is we have chosen, each of us have chosen a episode which reflects events in the real world. And of course, at the moment, we are sadly under lockdown with COVID-19. So we've decided to pick episodes that reflect uh, disease, uh, medical emergencies, and such like. So, without further ado, let's get into empathic episodes. Okay, Gregor, um, we'll start with uh, your good self. Uh, you've chosen an episode for us this uh, this episode, so um, would you like to tell us what episode you've chosen and uh, why, and we'll get into the discussion. Yeah, certainly. The problem comes no surprise given the background that you can see behind me that I've went for Deep Space Nine episode. And it's the, the season five episode 23 um, episode, The Quickening. Um, and if you don't know the, I'll give you a quick brief plot summary. Basically, Julian and Dax and Kira are in a mission or on a mission uh, in the Gamma Quadrant when they pick up a distress signal from a planet. They go to investigate this and when they land there they see a pretty bleak picture of a lot of people suffering from a disease they call the blight. They have lesions all over their face that's which are basically blue and uh, Julian of course being a doctor begins to investigate a, a bit more while they're wandering the, the streets of this pretty bleak planet. Um, a woman collapses and they take her to the, the nearest so-called uh, hospital um, on the planet. Um, there's a, they meet a character called Trevane while they're there who says he will look after her and it becomes 
pretty clear pretty quickly that when he means looking after her, it's essentially means euthanizing, uh, euthanizing her. And what they've discovered uh, when talking to Trevane and a few others is that the, the Dominion have infected this planet with a virus um, that kills everyone eventually, and they don't let you know it, it can affect any, it can kick in at any age. They don't know when it. It's going to, to kill them, and it's called. They call it the quickening. Um, so yeah, I mean, if, if it, how how does it reflect real life? Well, obviously, it's a deliberate virus by the Dominion to to put down a, a another race. If you believe in 5G and viruses created in <laughs> Chinese labs, as opposed to um, the the, the, uh, the wet markets there, then then you can subscribe to that. It's not what I particularly believe, but I think the episode uh, itself encapsulates the, the effort that's going uh, going on globally by, you know, big organisations such as WHO, such as CDC, um, big governments in the world, and, and more importantly, the, the, the health workers at the front line. Um, so Julian takes it pretty much on himself. Uh, and he's arrogance, because let's face it, Julian's quite a, shall we say, confident character. And uh, he he's going to fix this. So they he meets a a young girl called Decoria, who is pregnant at the time. And he persuades her in order to to help him find a cure. He needs more volunteers that are suffering from the final stages, so he can take more samples from them, do more analysis, and begin to um, search for a cure. Uh, and it's a bit of a struggle. He comes up with a lot of resistance, not least from Trevian, who sees himself as pretty much as an angel. They can't cure it. They don't have the resources to cure it on the planet. And he eases people into the passing uh, of their life. And it's become quite a ritual um, to go and see Trevian and have, you know, your family with you, your final misses, uh, your final wishes met. And, you know, the, for him to sort of essentially euthanize you in the, the best way possible. It's not, you know, it's very much a show, don't tell. It's not judging Trevane. It's not judging them. They were doing the best they can. Just because Julian came from the Federation with all the Federation's medical knowledge doesn't mean that they were wrong, um, even though that may be a little bit of his initial reaction. So with the help of Ecoria, he does get some help. He does find some volunteers. It's pretty grim. He's doing his best to synthesize some kind of serum from the the samples that he's getting. Um, Ecoria is very much pregnant at the time, which is her real driver, is that she wants to see her child being born before the, the quickening um, comes in. Um, as it turns out, it's not going as well uh, as he hoped, and as if by chance he stays behind on his own for a couple of weeks when Kira and Dax have to go back to Deep Space Nine and he's trying doing his best to, to nurse Korea through it. He in order to help her see her son he induces the delivery of the baby a little bit early. And lo and behold when the baby's born it turns out all the drugs that he's been administering to Ecoria Ecoria has been absorbed through the placenta and into the baby, and the baby is the first child to be born on the planet without any lesions. So um, it's a bit of a breakthrough moment. So he can't cure the disease. He worked tirelessly to it. I think, as I said, that's a really good representation of what our 
frontline medical staff are having to do at the moment, as well as the wider organisations that are having to deal with the aftermath and the ongoing situation that we have. But it does develop a vaccine or what is an effect of vaccines because they can give the drugs to the, the pregnant women on the planet who in turn, these drugs will be absorbed by the unborn fetuses. And eventually they will obviously clear it. It doesn't stop there when he does go back to Deep Space Nine. The last scene uh, is him in his lab and Cisco coming to see him after reading the report and saying, good job, Julian. And he's still trying to find a cure. You know, he, a vaccine wasn't enough. He was still trying to find a cure for the people that couldn't get help um, at the moment. And it, you know, it's a, very, it's a real, real touching episode. It's what D D Deep Space Nine done really well, while Deep Space Nine, particularly in the seasons four onwards, had this huge Dominion War um, story arc, it did have standalone episodes within it. And I think even if you're not up to speed with the, the story at that point in Deep Space Nine, you can watch it as a standalone episode. Uh, it fits in with the wider story arc and if you're not aware of the wider story arc it actually fits in just like an old episode of TNG or the original series um, would. so I think, I think it's a great point to jump in if you just want to see a bit of Deep Space Nine and see what it's about but yeah it's a, it's a, a corker Don't Make some room, I'm a doctor Leave him alone You don't understand Can't you see he's dying? Of course he's dying He came here to die People come to me when they quicken. The herbs I give them causes death within minutes. You poison them. The blight kills slowly. No one wants to suffer needlessly. I thought this was a hospital. And that you were a healer. I am. But, um, um, Stephen, you, uh, you watched the episode. Um, what's, your, um, what's your thoughts on Gregor's choice? Absolutely fantastic. I enjoyed it more than my own. <laughs> it was refreshing. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's a frog in the throat. Nothing more serious, Doctor. Don't worry. Um, it was just amazing for me, personally, to just get back into Star Trek that I enjoyed. Uh, it's been a while since I've watched Deep Space Nine, so it wasn't as fresh at the forefront of my mind. And every point, you know, there was a Doctor doctoring a people suffering and it was, it was as simple as that but contained in that was a wonderful story fantastic acting you know you'd have to have a glass eye you know to realize you know she's seen her child but she's passed away you know that brief moment and she's gone and ooh, right up here man you know and that star trek full stop when it does it real it can hit you with a, a double punch and that was amazing you know and yeah absolutely it, it's the unknown you know it was an, an engineered virus to force these poor people to say, look, don't stand up against the Dominion again. And Julian, as the doctor, fulfilled his Hippocratic oath, and there he was, going without sleep again at the yeah. end. Just fantastic. I just loved it. Just so good. Everyone was themselves. I know that sounds strange, but, you know, Sesco was Sesco. Jadzia was Jadzia. Nerese was Nerese. It, it was wonderful. I really, really enjoyed watching it. I was, um, I mean, I, I, I particularly... Um commend that particular choice of episode um because like Gregor says it really does fit into the um the current situation really 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 well um i mean the other thing uh, the what i liked about it or what i got from it um was that they went in 
they seen what was going on. Um, and naturally, as humans, as doctors, they, you know, Bashir wanted to help. He was like, what are you doing? You know, we can help these people, you know. Um, but it's, it's like us when we don't understand something or we don't see something and it doesn't conform to what we believe to be correct or morally right or anything like that. He he went in headlong, and as you said, Gregor, um, he is very headstrong, is Bashir. Um, more times to his um, to the good, but sometimes to his detriment. And in this case, it was eventually to the good. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like Stephen says, um, I particularly just enjoyed the the sort of the never give up attitude from. Um, from Bashir and Jadzia and, and and whatnot, and eventually they get you know um, a vaccine, um, and hopefully that reflects in real life, so that we never give up. We get the vaccine, and eventually we get the cure. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I particularly enjoyed um, that. I mean, to be honest with you, I think you could not pick a better episode for uh, relevance. Um, so, you know, well done on that one, Gregor. I, I got my cap. Absolutely. So, good choice. Well, JJ, just going to ask you, because obviously you've not seen a lot of DS9, but how did you find it as a an episode to, to jump in at that point? Because we're quite far on in Deep Space Nine at mm-hmm. that stage. I think, yeah, it's, I think, I think to be honest with you, it was, it was a good episode to watch, because like you say, it's, it's a standalone episode. There's nothing in, there's no cues in there that, uh, you're like, oh, hang on a minute, do I need to watch something else to understand what's going on here? It's very, um, um, so like you say, it's it's, a, it's an episode you can watch on its own. Um, I have watched, like you say, a little bit of DS, DS9, and I do particularly have a small fondness for Dr. Bashir. Um, just I'm sure you'll be that. delighted to hear that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's got that plucky never get... <laughs> I was I was trying to I was trying to uh, skate over that particular comment there, Gregor. We'll uh, we'll, we'll cut that out. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, it's that plucky, never give up attitude, uh, and you really get a good sense of. Um, I mean, I don't think it's probably not one of his better standalone episodes, but you do get a real good sense of Doctor Bashir's nature and what he is um, as a doctor. And his character, you, you get a real good sense of that. So I think it's a good episode for somebody to watch if they've never seen the Deep Space Nine, um, and maybe look into a few episodes after that. Um, I definitely, definitely enjoyed it. So um, that's basically. Uh, uh, don't know if Stephen wants to add anything more of that being uh, a relatively newbie to Deep Space Nine. It came along uh, around about the same time as Next Generation, and I, I watched it with my dad a lot. Um, it was hard, obviously, remembering everything, but oh, just rewatching it again, just good feelings, as you see. You know, it's a moral question about euthanasia. It's something that, that you know, has been relevant for a very long time in our own society. And, you know, again, into the Prime Directive, you know, we're, we're not going to change things. You know, that's what we're doing. You know, and they still fulfill the Hippocratic Oath. Well, just trick. <laughs> you know, it's like, here's a slice of Deep Space Nine. Enjoy. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. For, it's amazing for me how um, something as um, worshipped and devoted as direct 
you know, the Prime Directive, General Order 1, it's amazing how many times it actually gets ignored, broken or bent um, to get things done. Um, but that's just me. I just find that particularly, um, you know, a lot of the times for the greater good, but, uh, you know, I think that's a little bit sort of... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, uh, well, we've got your attention, Stephen. I uh, don't know if there's anything else you want to add on that one, uh, on your episode, Gregor. If there's any, any final thoughts? No, no, no it's just, it's good. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. That's the, the main thing. And we've all, we've all sort of expressed um, quite enthusiastically um, how much we enjoyed it. So I'm delighted that you guys uh, enjoyed it. Right, so um, Stephen, um, if you would uh, like to um, share with us your episodes and um, basically give us a brief synopsis and why you chose it. Okay, it's uh, from Star Trek The Next Generation. It's uh, Series 2. Um, I know it was maligned. Um, obviously, there were some cast changes with uh, Gates McFadden leaving and being replaced uh, with Diane Mulder, a Star Trek alumni. Um, I enjoyed her as Dr. Pulaski. I thought she was a refreshing foil for Picard because they were always batting heads. You know, not quite the McCoy-Kirk interplay, but it was interesting. And um, it's a standalone episode. A lot of Next Generation wasn't, you know, so much art-based. So it is something you can jump into and just go, it's a Trek episode. And they come across a ship and they receive a distress call. Um, fire it up on screens. And it's a man that, it's either Rick or Picard, I do apologise. One of them went to Starfleet Academy with and that can't be him. He's, you know, he has aged 60, 70, 80 years. And when did he graduate? Only four years ago. And the entire crew is dead. Advanced aging. So as with, I suppose, a lot of good stories in general, we have a mystery on our hands. Something to get into your teeth, you know, something to get your teeth into. So, okay, what is it? So, you know, they, they follow the detective trail, as it were, and work back. Okay, the ship had docked off at this planet. And, oh, they picked up some... Um, and I do find this interesting that these people had been messing with the human genome to make things better. You know, that was the intent, but, you know, given the whole eugenics war and everything, eh, but this was early days, so a lot of that wasn't codified yet. So they were improving the, the human condition, you know, so that we'd be immune to colds and whatever have you. Wonderful idea. We'd all like to be immune to things. So, again, relevant to what's going on today. And they discover these children. And they're not, well, at least not to our eyes as children. You know, that's why Pulaski's shocked um, when the child is beamed up in a protective encasing that I don't think they ever used again and must have been quite hellish for the actor to be under all that plastic. And it looked like, you know, an 18 to 20 year old. My heavens, oh, this is a human being at peak condition. Fantastic. And everything looks great. You know, nobody's thinking there's any problems with this. But Pulaski as a doctor, and again, as a repeated theme, we can't bring danger to the ship, because obviously Enterprise had families on board. So she makes the decision laterally, you know, to go out in a shuttlecraft to examine the child. Putting herself at risk, you know, again, a doctor, right? Putting herself before others. And she's investigating and whatever, and everything seems fine. And I believe it's like a little twinge in her hand or something, and it's the onset of arthritis. And she just doesn't understand. Long story short, without getting too technical, it turns out these children are so hyper-augmented, their immune system is a danger to regular humans because it attacks everything aggressively. So it comes down to, and again, given the current condition of COVID, one of the crew members aboard the ship had 
some sort of fluid. I'm not going to say it wrong in case I pronounce it wrong. I wouldn't want to upset our doctors here, engineer. <laughs> and it turns out actually the children are the problem. You know, it's not their fault, but they've messed around with things that they shouldn't have. And ultimately, Pulaski starts accelerated aging. So she exiles herself down to the planet that they're studying on. And here's where one of my favorite characters comes into play, our loved android, Data. Who, of course, she said Data many times too. And though he was not emotional, it did bother him because it's his name. It's Data, not Data. My name. It is pronounced Data. Oh? You called me Data. Well, what's the difference? One is my name. The other is not. I felt it screwed their relationship very much too because obviously he could study with her without being exposed and together they work on a vaccine again it's the same tra tradition let's do this you know but again in the background they were messing with things perhaps that they shouldn't there's your moral debate and they cure it they advance the they, you know they reverse the agent and everything's fine but then obviously they have to go back to the ship that they encountered it's in quarantine again very relevant and there is no other course they have to destroy the ship because everybody on board is affected, so, uh, you know, stand up, record them as all, you know, lost in action, fire the lone torpedo, and that's it. End of episode. I've maybe con uh, condensed quite a bit degrees, but it, again, I preferred yours, you know, Gregor, so I was kind of going through mine like, you know, I'll go back to the quickening. <laughs> but, you know, it got to the end, and I thought it was just a, a good Trek episode, you know, everybody had a little chance to shine, and a doctor prepared to sacrifice herself. I know a lot, a lot of people like Pulaski, but I enjoyed it, you know, and I, it, I have full memories of it, so I'll be biased towards it. Lieutenant Worf, arm the photon torpedoes. Torpedoes ready, Commander. Extreme caution. The USS Landry is a quarantined vessel by order of Starfleet Command. Do not board. Gentlemen. Extreme caution. The USS Landry is a quarantined vessel by order of Starfleet Command. Do not board. Yeah, I, I'm gonna. A lot of people, you know, particularly season one and season two of Next Gen, get gets a bit of stick. There are some. Uh, gems in there, particularly season two. I think the worst that you can say about TNG one and two is that it's, it's inconsistent uh, the first couple yes. of seasons. Um, but uh, there are some gems in there of which I think this episode is actually one of them, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> second, you know, the second thing is going to be controversial. A lot of people don't like Pulaski. I actually do like Pulaski, <laughs> and <laughs> that's why I, I really like this episode. I think I think Crusher went on to be. Um, more of a doctor in later mm -hmm. series. But when Pulaski joined, right from the off, she was much more of a scientific finger and a moral compass, particularly as in this episode, the stuff with data, but there were other episodes where the stuff with data that's great. I'm going to come back to that when we're doing fire at will. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, I, 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 the stuff that from this episode that sticks out is some of the stuff that you she points out she quarantines herself in the, the, the shuttlecraft uh, with the child and she decides to go down to the planet um, in the face of you know the the inevitable progression of the illness to 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 work on it to work on it 
tirelessly. The arguments that she has with um, Picard, it was all from the Hippocratic Oath and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. that was there was much more of that with her and Picard than there was Crusher and Picard for me in those early days. Um, you know, the first couple of seasons, you know, Beverly's first couple of seasons, it was all, oh, it was my son, my son. And she never got to have any sort of scientific conversations with anyone, even though she was meant to be one of the, the greatest doctors in Starfleet. Um, but Pulaski did, and they did that with her right from off, and that's why I like and That's why I really like this episode. I thought that was a great episode. And I think it's one that is well worth, well worth a revisit. So I think it's Nicholas Meyer that says, everything that you know, or how, how's it, he puts it, it's in the commentary for The Wrath of Khan, Nicholas Meyer, he says, everything that's gone before is enhanced by everything now uh, it's something along those lines and basically what he's what he's trying to say is that what you know now when you go back and look at the earlier stuff and you know more about it you actually see stuff in the earlier episodes that make them better than you remember them at the time and i think that absolutely agree. your episode's an example of that when you know that yeah that was a great choice thank you I, I definitely think uh, I would uh, I would agree with Gregor. Um, it is a gem of the early Next Generation episodes. Um, I particularly I'm, I'm I'm not a fan of Pulaski, um, but in this particular episode, I do like um, her character because um, I don't know if you would agree with me, but there is there seems to be subtle. Um, subtle hints and nods uh, to uh, McCoy um, from yep. the series. Um, in particular, um, her dry, down the line, look, this is my opinion, take it or leave it. Uh, there wasn't the witty element of it, but the uh, the fear of transporters as well, that was um, something else. Very eloquent. interesting. Um, I feel there's a bit of a nod there. Um, what I like about this particular episode um, is the fact that it it deals with again there seems to be a common theme between Gregor and uh, Stephen here um, of potential man-made elements to what's going on in the world right now. Uh, again, like I say, it's your opinion. Um, I'm not going to form any opinions on this particular program. That's for something else. But. Um, but yeah, there is that element, like you say, the genetic um, and the sort of the we know more than we're letting on uh, from um, that. Um, was it Darwin Station or something? Um, yeah, think, uh, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so there was that sort yes, of. but maybe. Um, and the fact that oh no no it's not them it's not them it's the it's not the children it's not the children. Um, it's it, it sort of it it, it, re it resonated with me because of that sort of that element of yeah we know something's not quite right but we you know we're damned if we're going to find out what's what's actually going on here and like I say it, the first time I ever saw that episode I honestly thought that was going to be the end of Pulaski honestly that's that you know we're not going to see it again that's it bye bye we're going to have yet another Doctor. Um, but then, miraculously, uh, about half a dozen techno babble. Oh, I'm just give it that. 
uh, half a dozen techno babble quotes later from O'Brien about some weird and wonderful magic you can do with the transporter and hey presto we've you know we've got uh, we've got Pulaski back um, but it's it's that element of the the butting of heads between Picard and Pulaski that I really enjoyed about that particular episode um, because that again reflects on the butting of heads between our doctors and scientists and um, our leaders. It's not a direct, you know, it's not a direct correlation, but it has similar elements to it. That sort of like, you know, you've got one side that's saying, right, we're not doing this, we're not doing this, but the other side saying we need to do this in order to, and there's that clash. Eventually, like I say, it does come out in the wash. Uh, everything gets sorted. Everybody's happy. It's Star Trek, of course it is. Um, but yeah, um, I think it was definitely, definitely a good choice of episode and very, very relevant. So I say well done on that choice there. Um, any more thoughts from anybody else? I was just thinking, Android, perhaps the episodes are a macrocosm of what's going on. You can stun me later, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you for that uh, wonderful, wonderful leading to uh, my choice. Um, now I have to be honest. My choice is the light-hearted choice of the of the group. Um, I have to admit, you guys have come out with some pretty serious, good. Um, episodes uh, and I choose Macrocosm. Um, being a Voyager fan, everybody that knows me knows I'm a big Voyager fan. I love um, the series as a whole. It's my go-to. Uh, so naturally I thought I'm going to look for an episode in Voyager and I found Macrocosm. Pure and simply because it is, as an episode, it's viruses for dummies. It's It's simple. It's. Is that why you like it? That's why I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's simple. It's 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 a it's a light-hearted episode. There's seriousness in it, but the you know the huge, gigantic, um, viruses that are floating around Voyager. It's um, so basically what happens is uh, Janeway and Neelix are away uh, on a planet doing some um, trade mission or something. And they come back to Voyager uh, after discovering she's not where she's meant to be. Um, they find her, they go back, um, and the ship's virtually abandoned. There's no battle damage, there's no nothing, there's no what's going on here. Um, so eventually, let's say, they stumble around the ship and they discover that um, there's something not quite right. There's a, uh, an alien intruder, what they believe initially to be an alien intruder. Um, as they try and find the crew, um, they discover that the, the intruder is not an alien as we know it, but uh, a macro virus. Um, so basically a virus that normally lives in the micro world has evolved into our world, the macro universe. Um, and basically they go around flying around the ship, uh, in piercing, injecting, whatever you want to call it into the host, the crew, and then more of these things grow, and they grow
grow at an exponential rate until they are like huge. Um, they'll eventually the captain uh, Neelix cops it uh, pretty early on in the episode. Um, he doesn't die, so you know, spoiler alert. Um, but he does get stung by one of these viruses um, and subsequently gets carted off somewhere to the in the rest of the ship. Uh, but Janeway soldiers on eventually finds the Doctor, and it's when we find the Doctor we get the backstory of what happened. The ship goes to a mining colony that has put out a distress call saying they're sick, they're some, you know they're not well. They go down. The Doctor, just like Pulaski um, in um, your TNG episode, there, um, the Doctor is sent down because he's the only one that can that can go down. Just like Data goes down with Pulowski, and Pulowski wants to get this thing sorted. The Doctor wants to get this. He's Data and Pulowski in one person. He goes down. The, he wants to beam people up to the to the ship to treat them. Uh, Chakotay's like, no, we can't risk the ship. It's, you know, as per quotes the rule books. Um, and, you know, it goes on and goes on. And they say, right, okay, no worries. We can't do anything. Come back to the ship. But in the process of coming back to the ship, these very uh, this particular instance, their microorganisms get transported in. Now they do the usual purge the system, purge the the transporters, the biofilters, and stuff like that. Thinking, okay, you know that'll get rid of anything. But in the split second it takes them to purge it, they've already migrated into the rest of the ship, and then they start to breed initially in the gel packs. Yeah, let's make let's make the, the ship part biological that works. Um and so on and so forth. They grow, they get bigger, they start infecting the crew, and eventually Janeway and the doctor between them. The doctor already has a cure, a vaccine, but he has no way of administering it. And this is where Janeway comes in, saves the day, figures a way of of administering it to the crew. Um, and everybody lives happily ever after. Um, oh, did I mention that the alien ship, uh, the alien race that they were uh, trading with initially um, found out that Voyager had a viral infection and came along and decided, oh, we're going to destroy you. We're going to purify you, um, as I believe they say in the episode. That particular element for me is relevant because they've come along, they say, oh, there's a virus, let's get rid of it, let's just blitz it. Let's not try and fix it, let's just blitz it. Uh, and I think that's a, an attitude that some people have uh, in the world today. I think that's a it's a it's a it's a fun episode, but with a serious element to it. Um, so it was a, a bit of a contrast to your two episodes. So I don't know if uh, Gregor wants to chirp in at this particular moment in time and shut me up. 
Somebody's got to. Um, no, I, I, I enjoyed the episode, as you say. It's a bit, it's a bit, a bit more uh, light-hearted, a bit more adventure-type um, storytelling. It's Star Trek meets Die Hard um, at some point. Although I also find there's an element of uh, the influence of the movie, the original Alien movie, um, in there as well. The, the, you know, the scene, the transporter pad, where the the goo has gone through the yeah, yeah. The bulkhead and the fact that, you know, it's in the Jeffrey's tubes and things like that. It's all very much like um, the original um, Alien as well, sort of getting referenced in there. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I did enjoy, I enjoyed the episode. I've not seen it for years, I have to say. Um, so that's the first time I've seen it in a long time. And I've forgotten it was the one at the beginning where Neelix is doing all this... Jazz hands with the... Good health, strong body, clear mind. And you, your hospitality, your generosity, your patience. Many thanks. My colleague's behavior, our apologies. Counsel, I assure you I intend to... Please make her quiet. Captain, please. I understand. Good health, strong body, clear mind. And you... Your journey home short and safe. At the beginning, because all because all because Jane all because Jane had put her hand on her hips, um, so I'd forgotten that 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 was. I love the I love the, the to be honest with you, that first bit of the episode. Uh, it, it was good because you basically got Neelix sort of doing all the diplomatic talking thing and basically like, oh, and Neelix is like, shut up. You know, <laughs> it's like, you've already got a little bit of, let me deal with this. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that's what that's one of the reasons why I chose it. Uh, it's just because, um, I mean, I, I, before I chose the episode, I'd already seen what you'd chosen, um, what you'd chosen, Gregor. Um, so I thought, I'll, I'll go... I'll go with something a little bit light-hearted. Um, and the thing with Voyager, if nobody's ever watched Voyager, which I find hard to believe, but there probably is going to be a couple of people out there that haven't. Voyager does have a story arc, but it's very much Alien of the Week through the entire... So you can jump in virtually at any point, and, you know, there's you, you, you don't, you're not missing much, um, which is why I, I like it as much, you know, because you, you can just jump into it. Um, but yeah, um, Stephen, your turn. Yeah, good fun. Um, Gregor, I'd never thought about Die Hard until you said it, but yeah, she's got a gun. Yeah, she's in a vest. <laughs> it just hits you like a brick and you're like, how did I miss this? Because I'll be honest, ladies and gentlemen, checks with guns. I'm cool with it. As soon as Jamie was like, right, I'm tooling up. I was like, yeah.
cool because Kurt was definitely your sort of, you know, we'll, we'll bomb them into the Stone Age. Picard was more, no, number one, we'll talk this out. Janeway's like, Delta Quadrant, yeah. Chick, chick, let's go! <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like hell, that, you know. I, I, hell, I'm going to blow up Borg cubes left, right, and centre. <laughs> <laughs> I like chewing gum and killing Borg, and I'm all out of gum. <laughs> oh, sorry, Seven. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, good episode. Um, lovely little sort of, as you say, Laurel and Hardy, kind of another fine mess you got me into here. And, you know, the Doctor being the Doctor, a fantastic character. Brilliant. Um, as you say, nice and light-hearted, but there's nothing wrong with that, you know? A little bit of light and shade and trick. It's what keeps you going. That's, that's uh, this, I, I, I love the phaser rifle. I mean, I know we are a, a Starfleet of peace, but oh, ching-ching, yes, she's going for them. <laughs> I, ha I, have to, I have to admit the, the, the bit in the engineering where she's, uh, as you quite eloquently put it, tooling up. Um, you know, it's just um, I just love how there's um, there's always a, a box conveniently lying about somewhere like engineering, where it's like, oh, you know, let's get all, all the, the the jackets coming off. Here we go. You know, that's it. Like you say, the vest. It's like she means business. Um, it's there's one thing I like about Voyager is you know how serious um, Janeway is. Um, is how much you know whether the you know the jacket's off whether she's down for the vest how sweaty she is you know that i mean that tells you how serious the situation is um and then the hair's out <laughs> yeah yeah uh you, but you know how screwed they are by how bad Janeway's hair is you don't ever no need to know what you're <laughs> you know exactly how screwed you are if you want to know what i mean Watch Year of Hell, you know, that's... I was just about to say Year of Hell. <laughs> and I think, you get, I think you get elements of both of that, you know, in, in that one, but that's a different episode for a different discussion. <laughs> but yeah, um, a, good, a good choice, I think, from, from Voyager. I mean, there were a couple of episodes, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's mine. I'm sticking with it, you know, hate me or love me, I don't care. Just going to... Yeah, I'm just going to throw a couple of honourable mentions right, that I was looking at before I um, made my choice. I thought Affliction from Enterprise was an interesting one. Again, it's man-made. Those that don't know, Affliction was the first episode in the three-parter about the, the augments and Dr. Soon and uh, stuff like that. I thought, you know, again, it's back to the man-made stuff um, and interfering, but uh, I thought that was a great um episode as well it, it nearly nearly got <laughs> nearly got in there um i think what was the other one that i seen that i, I thought was very good oh, voyager the the Vidians and the phage oh yeah you know oh. i'm having nightmares those <laughs> oh, so, poor people yeah, uh, the, the, you know, there was that one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's been a few. In fact, back to Deep Space Nine, um, it's not really an episode, but uh, sorry, JJ, if you've not made it this far in Deep Space Nine yet. That's all right. Um, no. but, uh, the, ch the Changeling illness. Oh. I think, um, I mean, I've, yeah. I've not watched it recently, but I have watched, like I say, various in the past so that does ring a bell I mean I couldn't quote you on anything I couldn't tell you whether you were lying 
or telling the truth, I, I don't know. But um, I do remember, yeah, that does ring a bell for me. But I Funnily enough, it was uh, Bashir that came up with a cure for that as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to have fun getting to that one, Gigi. Oh. I, look, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. I definitely do. Um, so, yeah, um, I think we've had some pretty um, some pretty good choices there. Um, and, like I say, um, I, I, for the first time in a long time, me and Gregor Cameron are in agreement. Both on yeah, well, and my... I hope you... I'm glad you've recorded it because that isn't going to happen. It's there. It's on record. Uh, we will be referring to this uh, again in the future if we uh, ever have any arguments. So, uh... <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, well, thank you very much for your choices uh, for empathic episodes. Um, so that concludes that. Um, we're now going to move on to our next segment, which is uh, red alert. Shields up. So, um, see you on the other side, guys. Right, this is going in the outtakes, by the way, because uh, I uh, didn't have my app open for the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is going in the outtakes, basically. <laughs> Who didn't update L cards? <laughs> Who switched it off? Have you tried? Have you tried reconfiguring <laughs> the auxiliary power coupling? <laughs> no. Which one you could have had contagion? Or oh, we'll just switch the ship on and off again. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, is it next? <laughs> okay, right, okay. Right, game faces, boys. Hey, um, <clears throat> red alert, shields up. It's time to discuss those elements of Trek that don't quite sit quite well with ourselves. Um... Now, I love it when Gregor goes off on one. Uh, so we're going to start with Stephen this time. I know he's <laughs> trying, trying to get stuck in there. So we're going to go straight in with Stephen there. Um, and he's gone. We've lost him. <laughs> so I'm, I'm still here. Is everything okay? <laughs> Okay, so um, what is it? Um, now, we've all got multiple uh, gripes about Star Trek, so um, we've probably got a lot to cover on this one. So just uh, one thing off the top of your head, what gets your back up about Trek? What's, what's puts your shields up? Um, I'm quite prepared for this. It's not so much shields up as a blade of armor. Transphasic torpedoes at the ready. I hate Star Trek Discovery! Come I'm sorry. It's it like I, I we we infinite diversity and infinite combinations, but with deepest respect. Sorry, Michael Burnham, if you step on board the Alba and you talk to our Commodore the way you spoke to people in authority, I'm quite prepared to resign my commission or join Section 31. And phase you from existence. I am not a sexist. I am not a racist. But this is a military discipline. I'm sorry, it is inspired by. And if I spoke to people in authority the way that that person spoke, also, if I started a several year war that resulted in the death of thousands, murdered my captain effectively, and had her eaten, would not get a medal and then assigned to the star, excuse me, would not be assigned to the Federation's 
flagship of Discovery to be the bestest person ever. I don't know where they're coming from, to my mind. And I know there's people who enjoy it. I'm not taking your enjoyment away from it. I'm just saying I found absolutely no enjoyment in it whatsoever. Okay? I have no issue with swearing. If you've seen me at a Comic-Con, I swear like a trooper. But when I put this uniform on, I represent Starfleet. And if I act like a regular bloodworm, not that I know they're sentient, and one person assumes my actions are a reflection upon the entire existence of Starfleet International because I'm a mouthpiece with an attitude that can't simply respect other human beings until such times as we meet our alien ancestors and what have you. To quote Mr. Spock, if I were human, I believe my response would be go to hell. If I were human. I just don't like it. I don't care about having my expectations subverted. I, as I say, I have no issue with swearing. But with deepest respect, if our Commodore asked me to do something as an engineer, and this will be probably edited out, but I will censor myself. Nay, fucking bother, Captain! I'll just go and get that fucking thing sorted for you! I feel sick. Like, I have no issue. There's a love and respect between this crew. I get it's fine, but a war criminal does not a Starfleet officer make. Um, sorry, here's your... And, and I'm, I'm a cannoneer. I'm sorry if you don't adhere to canon. Why do we listen to the ancient Greeks 8,000 years ago and base everything upon them? How can the Federation be destroyed in the future that they've gone to if Daniels exists in the 31st century, which is the year 3000, and there is a Federation time fleet in existence, which we've seen multiple times in both Voyager, and we've had the temporal uh, guys, Dulcer and Lax there, whatever the name is, and, and okay. all the rest of it, you know? Like, we have these departments that have said these things have happened. Um, I don't want to watch Star Trek and cry. Well, I do, but not in anger. And um, with absolute deepest respect, I love Klingons. I dig Klingons. And the last thing I would never see to see again in my life is a severed Klingon baby head. I know Gene Roddenberry wasn't a saint, but you tell me that's his vision. You know, I could just totally see the great bird of the galaxy sitting there with his little glass of Ractus Gino and Majel, do you know what this show needs? What, darling? Severed Klingon heads. Get that on paper. We're taking that to Sulu in the morning. I'm sorry, guys. It's not trick. It's not for me. If you, if you see me shutting down at Comic-Cons and people are discussing it, it's because you're not going to get anything nice out of me. Enjoy it if you do. I don't. I find it an insult to the fans. I find it an insult to people like DC Fontana. I mean, this idea that, ooh, fans can't be writers. You're so entitled. Star Trek, the original series, allowed fans to write some episodes. And I think in formal discussion, we can agree some of them were the finest episodes we've ever seen. We put this uniform on for love. I love you all. I'm a big happy. I wouldn't shake Michael Burnham's hand and I wouldn't hug her. Everyone else in Star Trek, depending on your cultural norms, obviously we've heard with attack, attack, you know, just in case. But sorry, red alert, Star Trek Discovery, Netflix <laughs> keeps suggesting it. I'm not watching it. But I do like Enterprise, so I'm done. <laughs> um, yeah, to, to, to follow on with that, um, I, I genuinely... Um, I, I genuinely did enjoy watching it. Um, however, for me, it, it was the element of, okay, there's a ship that can jump through time and space. There is 
this, that, and the other, without going into too much detail, um, the fact that Burnham is Spock's um, adopted sister. I mean, I forgot about that. I do apologise. Now, no need. The, the thing is, is for me, is it, season one was enjoyable to watch for me, right? Okay, I mean, um, I, I don't think it's where it should have gone, but. I did enjoy watching it. However, when we got into season two, I thought, okay, here we go. We're getting the Enterprise. We get the, the only good thing about season two was Pike for me. The, I agree with you on that. That was lonely. Anson as Pike was pure genius. Um, however, the, the thing with season two for me was it was very much, oh, shit. We have just run roughshod over canon. X, Y, and Z has happened, but you know this is supposed to be before, you know, uh, the original series. Blah blah blah. What we're going to do about this Crossfield class starship? Oh, hang on a minute. I know what we can do. We can fire it thousands of years into the future. Deem it classified. Then nobody knows it ever existed. And never talk about it again, even though Talos General Order 4. It felt to me like it was a little bit sort of that season two was cleaning up the mess of season one. Uh, Don't even do that. And as as, as Gregor, uh, and yeah, I mean, I I agree a little bit with that. uh, But as Gregor will um, quite happily lead on from. Um, it was the writers as well, I think, the episodes. Um, if you want to take that from there, Gregor, on that subject, because uh, I know that's particular. Okay, okay. Um, how, how long have we got? Uh, just know, keep it as brief as where, possible. Where do you want me to start? Where do you want me to finish? How much detail do you want me to go into in this one? Um, <laughs> it's. I think there's a wider thing here, but what, what's gone wrong, in my opinion, with Discovery and with Picard, didn't start with Discovery. It started with JJ, okay? And not me. after Enter- Abrams. Uh, <laughs> and JJ. So, um, you know, we go back to Enterprise had just finished, prematurely mm-hmm. in my opinion. I know it doesn't have its fans, but if you've not watched Enterprise, go back and watch it. Season one or two, Worst of, the worst thing I could say about season one or two, it's a bit dull at times. But so was so was Voyager, so was TNG, so was Deep Space Nine. Okay. And people will use that to defend Picard and Discovery, but I'm going to knock that one out the park in about two or three minutes. I'm going to knock that out of the park about those two episodes. But that's the worst thing that you can say about Enterprise. Seasons three and four are absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I've been re-watching Enterprise because I've been spending a lot of time in the house late recently, like a lot of people. And it's this about the third watch-through I've done on Enterprise in the last five or six years. And I'm watching it thinking, Jesus, this is good. <laughs> you know? Brandon Braga, he wrote some stinking episodes in Voyager, but he wrote some good ones as well, and he'd done the same in Enterprise. He wrote a couple of stinkers, but he wrote some good ones. Manny Cotto, when he came on board in season three, Enterprise went through the roof. Where, where are these guys? You know? And so Enterprise finished. For all, We can talk about why Enterprise finished franchise fatigue and all that, right? And then nothing happened to Star Trek for four years. Then JJ comes along, 
and decides yeah. that he's going to change it. Okay. So from now, okay, I'll do you a favour, JJ. From now on, what we're going to do, everything from 2009 onwards, we're going to call it Jar Jar Trek. Okay? Yes! So, in 2009, we get Jar Jar Trek, where he, he brings his lens flares, he brings action, he brings all this stuff to it that he thinks is going to be flashy and attract a new audience. And it hasn't attracted a new audience. So it was a hit, but was it a big hit? Um, Into Darkness was a much bigger hit, but it was such a bad film that the next film flopped at the box office. Um, so he brings all that, and I watched it. Uh, I watched 2009. I thought um, it was entertaining in the cinema. Didn't stand up to a second viewing, and that's something that's became symptomatic of all three of the the Jar Jar tricks. It's certainly symptomatic of Discovery. I do not go back. I do not sit at night and go, oh, that was a great episode of Discovery. I'll watch that. <laughs> no urge to revisit Picard because the episodes didn't stand up to one viewing, never mind a second viewing. Um, so I left the cinema thinking, okay, it's a prequel. I could have been doing without a prequel after Enterprise because we've already gone back once. But he's changed the timeline. So we'll see what he does with the next one, okay? He's so creatively bankrupt that after coming up with a story to change the timeline, he just decides to remake Star Trek 2. Why but it's he... not Khan. But it's not Khan, but it is Khan. And it's not Kirk. It's not Spock that dies, it's Kirk. And he just remakes... Not an original idea in his head. It just, why change the timeline so that you can go and do your own thing and make a big song and dance about it in the media to just remake Star Trek 2? That's all he done. And then we, we know about Beyond and then we get to Discovery. And this is symptomatic of one of the other things that sort of bugs me about Star Trek is everybody just trying to cash in. Um, from official trek to unofficial trek. I'm talking, when I say unofficial trek, I'm just going to very briefly talk about some of the blogging sites and websites out there, specifically ones like we've got this covered, um, and Screen Rant and a few others, who every other day are posting new Star Trek series as in development. This is happening. That's happening. And it's all bollocks. It's all bollocks. Section 31's happening. This is happening. Discovery's been renewed for season four and five. No, it hasn't. Section 31 hasn't happened. There isn't a Quentin Tarantino film. There isn't none of these things happen. Do you want to know how I know Section 31 is not happening? Because it's not on IMDb. It's on IMDb is under development. It has not been given the green light. The reason I know, if it's not on IMDb, if it's not come from a CBS press release, it's not happening. That's the bottom line. You want to know what's happening, go on IMDb. The reason being, all the technicians, everybody that's creative, all the backroom staff, if they get put on a TV series, their agents get it on IMDb as soon as they possibly can because that's how they get their next gig. That's how it happens. So, so that, none of these things happen. But this is happening with Star Trek. You watch Discovery, there's 21 producer names at the start of Discovery. There's 20 producers. There's 20 producers at the start of Picard. Okay? So it's back to JJ and his surrogate Kurtzman cashing in 
and you've got 20 producers all trying to get their intellectual property into the programme so that they can get a bigger check out of the programme. And this is part of the problem. Here's some things I don't have a problem with discovery. Don't have a problem with technology being different. Don't have a problem with the look of the programme. Looks fantastic. Don't have a problem with special effects. Special effects are amazing. Looks like a movie. Brilliant. Can we not just pay some writers instead, though? Exactly. You know, also, can we not no just... I, think I mean... That's a, that's, a, that's a big problem with, with Trek at the moment, is that there is almost like a fear from the studios to let um, fans loose with the franchise, because I don't know why, but they don't seem to want to um, want to do it. I mean, um, I'll be honest with you, Greggy, it did kind of steal my thunder with your rant there, uh, because I was going to talk about the Kelvin, uh, um, the Kelvin Universe, um, as some people call it, films. Um, yeah, um, when, when I first saw 2000, uh, the 2009 version, um, I thought, oh, here we go. I was watching the film. There's a wormhole. The timeline's been changed. Brilliant. There is an opportunity here to create something new with the original characters. And I will say one of the good things about the film um, is the casting of the characters. Uh, Chris Pine as Kurt. Um, and mine's gone a blank here. Uh, but, you know... Zachary Quinto. Zachary Quinto. Um, Cal Urban. Cal Urban. Thank you very much, Gregor. Um, uh, There's a bit of a, uh, um, engineering, if you're watching, uh, I need a... Yeah, that thing where you go and do the, um, the you know, the Android is all good. Um, but yeah, the, the casting for the movie was spot on because they played their characters really well. They didn't try to copy the originals. They didn't try to emulate the originals. They did the originals in their style. They took the nuances, they took the phrases, and they made it their own. It wasn't a, It didn't feel like a carbon copy as in like they were basically doing an impression. They were playing the character, not impersonating the character. And that, I will have to say, is a good thing for it. But therein lies the problem. Uh, as Gregor mentioned um, earlier on, they started off with a potential to go new places with it, new storylines, new everything, because they've changed the timeline. They could have done anything, but like you say, yeah. rehashed the Wrath of Khan. Um, and I, that was a little bit of a, 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 it was a bit of a downer for me. I, don't get me wrong, I enjoy watching the film because it's 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 an it's an entertainment in respect of like it's flash flash, you know, uh, lens flare. I think you call it. Um, you know, it's it's very entertaining in that respect. Um, but it is the. The only good thing about the rehash was, um, like I say, was the characters. Um, the the only good film out of the three of them um, was the third one, Beyond. I think there's uh, elements. I think there was elements of Beyond that were half decent, but overall. I think, I mean, I'm not saying it was like wow, this is amazing, uh, but for the film, given what. The, you know, it was, and I, and the reason why it was the best of the three because it was written 
by a Star Trek fan. Um, and as you may or may not know, that particular fan was Simon Pegg. So he basically, that it was he wrote the, wrote the film, and I think, did he direct it as well? I'm not sure. No, no, it was Justin Lin directed it. So I, I know he wrote the film. Oh, yeah, the USS Frank Lin, that's right, to his dad. Yeah, um, and that's what, and that just proves the point is that you know a fan, wrote, you know, did the screenplay for it and it worked. Um, like I say, it's as Greg has said, it wasn't brilliant. There was a, it was a bit slow in places. It could have, you know, there could have been a lot more to it, but it it worked. It really did work. Um, I have to be honest, Greg, like I say, Gregor did steal my thunder, so I am a little bit of a, a loss for what to rant about now. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, even, I'm not even started yet. I've not even started on this yet. Yeah, well, I, mean, I did promise. We are doing more of these, Gregor, so we can spread it out a little bit, you know? Okay, okay, okay. well, let, let's come back to this, because there's weeks of material here. Oh. I did promise that people who say to me, and other people who don't like Discovery or don't like Picard. Or oh, older Trek needed a couple of seasons to get going. That is absolutely correct. Um, mm-hmm. It did. And I've, I've used Enterprise as an example. However, since Enterprise finished in 2005, God. the way television is consumed and our expectations of what television should be have changed dramatically. Broadcast television is almost dead. You know, yeah. we have user, co- yep. we've, we've got a lot more entertainment mediums. We've got user created content like what we're doing tonight. Um, stuff has changed. Netflix has moved on. So in the case of Discovery, people who say to me, oh, season three before TNG and this Enterprise and Voyager got good. Okay. Did anybody watch Stranger Things, Hunters, the Umbrella Academy and think, fuck me, I can't wait for season three. No, no. People who say Picard, give it, give it a season or two. All new Trek needs time to progress. Well, I say the same thing, but with Picard, we've got a lead character who's already been in 179 episodes of Star Trek and four films. How much more development do you need? Seriously. If I may. Um, spoilers, he's dead. Oh, he's in a um, a golem, because uh, we're not allowed to yeah. uh, use uh, androids as a term, because everything has to be 25% different. I'm going to get the name of the episode wrong. Yeah, I thought it was Measure of a Man, but that's obviously the wonderful episode of it by Data Has Rights. It's the one with Dr. Ira Graves, effectively Data's grandfather. Yeah. And he puts his engrams into Data. Yeah. But it's agreed, at the end of the episode... Just because those engrams are in data, he's no longer Ira Graves. That body is dead and out in space and gone. All things must pass, even stars. Oh no, it's, an, it's a, I believe, an agenda so that he can empathise more with their plight. He served with the officer for 20 plus years. He wept when he died. How much more empathy does this 97-year-old... And I'm sorry, right? You've got the ability to go into a robot body, but you don't hire Tom Hardy to do the young version and save yourself a budget on Patrick Stewart. And I'm sorry, like, I don't get it. He's he's gone, and he sounds so tired. And I want, for me, sorry, my Picard to be strong and a captain. I know his age. We're all going to age. 
but let's have all good things where they have that lovely game of cards. You know what? I should have done this long ago. Boom! I could talk for hours for, for about every single thing that's wrong with Discovery, that I think wrong with Discovery, and Picard. And you're probably guessing how much I dislike Discovery. And as far as Discovery goes, it is dislike because it's utter rubbish. It's utter, utter rubbish. I, I mentioned the writers. You know, a lot of Star Trek fans say, oh, the writers haven't watched Star Trek. I don't think they watched the previous week's episode of Discovery. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that one, yeah. At my work, there's a guy, when Discovery Season 2 was on, there's a guy, he was a 30-year-old guy, so a lot younger than me, but he liked his sci-fi, he'd never seen Star Trek, he was a Bulgarian guy, he really liked Battlestar Galactica, so he says, well, if you, you know, the reboot, he says, well, if you like that, that's Ronald D. Moore, he was one of the big players in Deep Space Nine, and he was, you know, started out as a laddie, a young lad, all writing for TNG, some of the episodes, so, you know, give, give something out a go. So when Discovery Season 2 came on, he, he binged watch Season 1 to catch up. And every Friday morning, um, because we we didn't we, we worked 12 till 8, or at least we were at that time, 12 till 8, Monday to Friday, he would go in at, to the office at 12 o'clock. I would come in at 12 o'clock, and Discovery would be dropped on Netflix at 8 o'clock. And he'd say, first thing he'd say to me is, what are they doing? They, they just totally... Changed their mind from last week. What? Why did Why did it jump about? The thing is an absolute mess. So this is someone that supposedly this new audience that they're chasing, saying to me, "Go, what the hell's going on here?" Now, mm-hmm. that's why that's I dislike Discovery because it's it's just such a mess. If it didn't have Star Trek in the title, I would have switched off long before. What I'm going to say about Picard is even worse. Even worse because. I am completely and utterly indifferent to Picard. And that's worse. It was so mediocre that I was completely indifferent to it. I didn't even get the, I hate this reaction. When Picard died, I wasn't, I I think I actually picked up my phone and started playing some football game that I was playing at the time. You disrespectful man. I was just like, oh, Picard's dying. That is how bad it was. I think... Um, I, I think Kirk doesn't have the worst death now. Uh, no, he doesn't. No, no. <laughs> um, I think for me, the uh, at the time when I was watching it, um, I take everything on face value. Uh, would I go back and watch it again? No. At the time, I enjoyed watching what you know, because I, I took every, because I take everything that I love about Trek and I just leave it to one side and I watch it for what it is. Um, and then I'll go back to it and then retrospectively review uh, what, I've, what I've seen. Um, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of, you know, Picard at the front because it didn't seem like he was at the front of the show that bears his name. Um, he was a guest in his own show. What was, I mean, here's, here, here's, where, here's where the rubbish writing comes in. What was the point of the Borg? Because that research the Borg was banned, do. but we're still doing it? Huh? What did the Borg do? What did the Borg bring to the story? It's, I think, what YouTube's gets, eyeball. got the... That's it. 
you've got the ball cube there, you've got what's going on, fair enough, you know, there's something there, but it's like a huge, a, a huge big what they, what's actually going on? Because I know I asked the question, oh, there's a bog ship. This this is going to be interesting. This, what, what's the storyline going to be? Um, but it was just a backdrop for, um, for uh, is it, was it Daj or what's the... See, that's the thing. Soji. Soji. Uh, that's the thing. I don't even remember which way around the damn androids' names go, you know. Um, I mean... For me, just to fast forward a little bit, the only thing that steps out for me in Picard, um, as much as I love Patrick Stewart, it isn't Patrick Stewart. It it was Brent Spike. That is the only thing that's that's that sticks in my mind, and in particular the very last moment, the farewell, the send off that Data should have got. In Nemesis, if they were, you know, fair enough, you're going to kill a character off, kill them off, but at least give them a good send-off. Um, I always felt after Nemesis, which is a rant I'll go on to in another another episode, um, but I always felt in Nemesis that it was like we were cheated when Data died. It was like it was a cheap shot for me as a, as a fan. It's like, oh, we've lost Data. That's a bit harsh. And then nothing after that, you know, no, but at the end of Picard, when he basically says, "Look, just pull the plug on my on on my you know my my memory, let me fade away, let me go," and the, the blue skies, the 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 aging of the data, and I, I hand on heart, I genuinely shed a tear at that moment because I felt that it was a send off that he deserved. And he got it as a character, as a, you know, as a much loved character. He got the final send off that he deserved. I hate, I hate to uh, rain on your parade here. You're going to hate me as well, but I I, I, I hate to rain on your parade, scene. right? So I, I'll acknowledge. I'll acknowledge <laughs> it was a well. It. I'll acknowledge it was a well-made scene. Where did it come from? We've watched it for ten episodes, and not once was it said. Oh, by the way, we've got data's uh, memory over here. We've got all data's memory. It just suddenly appeared after Picard died. If it had been a dream sequence, would you have known the difference? Yeah, different uniforms. <laughs> For me personally, um, I was second by it. There's moral issues on life and death and do androids have a soul? Fine. But I'm sure in Next Generation he said to Picard at one point about himself, do not let me die. Like, do not let, you know, if I shut down, don't let this all be forgotten. Dr. Noonien Sung's life is in me. Do not let this be forgotten. Uh, excuse me, while you're in here, can you just hit the delete button? Get stuffed. Alex Kurtzman, take your cell phone, JG's intergalactic transporter, and go to the end of the galaxy and just stay there. Okay? I have a hard enough time watching people in my own life pass away. Seeing Brent Spiner hopping off, again, I hated Nemesis. Wow, I get to watch Data Die twice. Thank you, Star Trek. Frack off! I'm, I'm hurt, guys. That seems a good jumping off point. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am hurt. I am Sorry. Like, um, I, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna get you guys back for that one. Um, <laughs> but no, just as a final. And I love data. I do. <laughs> I love that man. As a final closing point on that. Um, 
to be fair, Gregor does have a point, um, and you both actually have got a point there. Um, it was hurts the, the lead up. It was the it was the moment itself. You know, um, it was misplaced. It was out. It was like, where did it come from? Why the hell didn't we? You know, earlier on. And, but just take that away for one minute and look at what it is in the individual moment. That is something I I did enjoy, you know quite enjoy. Um, in a weird sort of way. But yeah, um, thanks for that, guys. Um, I am hurt. Um, you definitely have <laughs> We've done our job, Stephen. <laughs> we know how switch your emotion chip off. For goodness sake, switch your emotion chip off if you can't handle us. I think we, <laughs> I think we know basically the, where the dynamic of this particular um, vlog is going to go. So, well, thank you very much, guys, for... Um, your thoughts and your shields up red alert um, discussions. I do feel that we could probably do an entire segment, if not an entire show, on uh, <laughs> uh, Gregor's rants. Um, just give him a. Um, it's all right. He's laughing now. Wait until he sees the edit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, so. We'll just move uh, nicely on to our last segment, uh, which is Fire at Will. Okay, guys, um, welcome to the last segment of uh, this evening's cast. Um, and we are firing at Will. Poor old Will gets it every time. Oh, Tonight, we are going to let loose with the phasers and let him at the photon torpedoes. And we're going to let our very own Gregor Cameron kick us off this evening. And your target, should you choose to shoot at it, is the fandom of Trek. The good, the bad, the ugly. This is Fire at Will. Gregor Cameron, the floor is yours. I've, I've met a lot of fans. I've got a lot of Facebook friends that are fans. I've got a lot of fans that have became friends on Facebook because of uh, Star Trek. And the vast majority of fans are great. The vast majority of fandom is fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. Unfortunately, there's a, a toxic fandom both sides of one particular argument, okay? And I, I know I mentioned Discovery earlier, but I'm not talking about the specifics of is Discovery good or bad here. I'm talking about the fan response and the toxic response on both sides of the argument. As you've seen, I can have a rant about Discovery. I, will, I can and will rant about Discovery. And that's fine, you know, Some that's, that's my opinion, you know? I'm not saying don't like it. I'm saying... I don't like it, you know, and these are the reasons why I don't like it. I've got Deep Space Nine behind me, so lots of people don't like Deep Space Nine. It's my favourite. If people don't like it, I don't have a go at them. There's a lot of pro-discovery people particularly, because that's where most of the debate is on social media. Whereas if you say something anti-discovery, it's like you're not a real Star Trek fan. Well, what makes me not a real Star Trek fan, but someone who doesn't like Deep Space Nine, not a real Star Trek fan. Or someone who doesn't like Enterprise, not a, a real Star Trek fan. You know, 
why, since when did liking Discovery have to be a prerequisite for being a Star Trek fan? You know, it, it's just nonsense. There's a toxicity on both sides of the argument, as I said, because equally, I've seen some the people who share my views of Discovery be equally toxic to the people that do. And it's like, why? They like it, that's their business. You know, if you don't like it, that's fine. But don't tell them that they shouldn't like it or why they shouldn't like it. You know, I've got loads of reasons and no doubt in future episodes we'll spend 16 and a half hours arguing or basically Stephen and me agreeing um, what's wrong with it. Um, you know, and the irony of it is, is that where does infinite diversity and infinite combinations come into play in the behaviour of both, of the minor, minority of fans on both sides, I will say, but if they proclaim to love Star Trek, both sides of the argument, what happened to Idik? Why can't they live by what they profess to love so much? It annoys me. Disappoints me. It doesn't annoy me. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in you all. Not angry, just disappointed. So, um, following on with that, Gregor, um, I, I know you're um, reasonably active on Twitter. Um, and I, I am recently as well. Um, and of course, you are as well, Stephen, but uh, like I say, this is uh, Gregor's uh, fire at will. Um, what's do you see much uh, on Twitter regarding this toxic fandom? Does it does it appear a lot on there? Do you? Um, I, I don't see it as much on Twitter. I see more of it on Facebook, and more of it on YouTube than I do on Twitter because I don't. I, I tend I don't follow that much Star Trek stuff on Twitter. I follow some of the actors, I follow some of the writers, and some of the other creatives. I don't really follow bloggers on um, Twitter. Um, there's one, I follow Heller Barker who does the um, tricorder transmissions because I've guested on her podcast a couple of times so I follow her and I follow, I can't remember his name um, Greg, his name's Greg also actually um, and he's part of Star Trek The Next Conversation podcast and I've been a guest with him as well um, so I follow them but all our sort of broadcasters and the more vocal elements of fandom I don't tend to follow on Twitter. I use Twitter for other things like football and politics and science and stuff like that. I, 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 I keep my Star Trek stuff pretty much to Facebook and YouTube, um, to be honest, in terms of in terms of the fan stuff. But I see a lot, I mean, some of it on Facebook is unbelievable. There's one Facebook group, it's a pro-discovery book, a pro-discovery group. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not picking on discovery here. It's just an example of um, Idic, okay. Um, so th this is a pro-discovery group, and one of the questions that you have to answer, it's, it's, you know, it goes through these are the rules, and it talks about infinite diversity and accepting other people's opinions, and all this. And then one of the questions is, <laughs> basically says, if you don't like discovery, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's just like, well, you know. You think uh, um, is this the right party? Do you think that um, the the there's a there's a difference in the um, the younger generation, the 
of Star Trek fans, the ones that have uh, come in, they started watching the films, for example, and then started watching the other series and stuff and got into it that way, um, compared to the likes of yourself uh, and, and like um, the, the series that we got into in the, uh, in the 60s, the 80s, the 90s, stuff like that. Um, is there a marked difference between the attitudes and the comprehension of Star Trek? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. I think most of the vitriol regarding Discovery, both sides of the argument on Discovery, I'm not picking on one side here, it's both sides again. It's, it's people my age, you know. I, I, it always amazes me the amount of people younger than myself, you know, 20, in some cases 30 years younger than myself, that like the next generation, that like the original series. Um, I'm a... It, that always flabbergasts me. It seems to be, and in my opinion, it's not scientific, but in my opinion, it seems to be the the long-term Trekkies that are having this cat fight over Discovery. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it all day long, but I'm not going to fall out with another Trekkie about it. So I have noticed that with, um, I mean, I've, uh, I grew up watching TNG and uh, Voyager and, and such, but it's only in the last uh, four or five years that I've truly come out uh, of my shell as a, as a Trek fan. Um, joining the Albert was a big part of that. But um, I've noticed uh, reading up in history that um, there seems to be a, a theme of whenever a new Trek comes out, there's always the old, the old school come out and go, that's not Trek because that's not Kirk or that's not Trek because the theme tune's not even Star Trek, you know, it, it's um, when, what do, do you do? You feel that um, any of that's been justified over the years? Do you feel that uh, you may have agreed or been in that camp? Um, well, I'm in that camp. But, I'm in that camp since 2009. We've established that, but yeah. Prior so that camp, so that camp's always existed, right? And it never existed with me because I liked the Next Generation from the start. I liked Deep Space Nine from the start. I liked Voyager from the start. I will confess that I didn't like Enterprise from the start, but I'll stand by my original comments and say that the worst thing you could say about it is that it was dull. I wouldn't have had a rant about season one or two of Enterprise the way I can have a rant about certain other uh, versions of Trek that we've seen since 2009. And I do, I, I, will, I will lump the films in along with Discovery and Picard. I will, I will lump them in. Um, so that's not my personal experience because that's not what I've done. I was conscious as a 16, 17 year old when The Next Generation came out that there was this movement and particularly in America of anti The Next Generation because it wasn't Kirk Bones McCoy. Uh, Kirk Spock McCoy um, and that if that was today that may have been a lot more visible because of social media but it wasn't it was 1986, 1987 so we'll never know if it was if it would be like what we're seeing now um, but yeah, so I mean, that's not my per that's just my personal experience. I liked every new version apart from Enterprise, which I got a bit bored with. And then years later, when I did get to watch it right through, um, I was like, oh, well, ah, sort of missed out there. I should have stuck with it. 
very good. Um, Stephen, um, would you like to uh, ask um, or lead Gregor on to any particular? And bearing in mind, we're sticking with fandom here. Um, not anything specific. So, is there anything you would like to um, to ask or to? You, you can prod him as well. You can sort of, um, you know, get the old cattle prod of controversial subjects and. I do. Yeah, like to thank you. Honestly, thank you. This and and listening to Gregor's point of view is why I'm proud to be aboard the Alba. You know. It's something that even, you know, taking off the start you know, for my, my own videos, obviously, I can seem quite a bit ranty. And it's not that I hate things, it's that I'm passionate about them. And, you know, there is no shame in being passionate. And, he, you know, he's right. There, there's negative on both sides. And I'll fully admit, because I'm human and flawed, sorry, Hollywood, you know, human beings are. I have tried not to, you know, uh, attack people, because as you say, it's not right. It's not practicing what I preach. And I'll be honest, as a fan, sometimes when I have been wound up, you know, and it, it's, you know, you must, like, as he says, well, who is the arbiter of taste? Fan is shorthand for fanatic, and fanaticism, <laughs> as we all know, can both love some extreme places, but no, on the album, I mean, look, there are three different uniforms in this stream, because, I mean, mine's is a weird hybrid of the film and First Contact, there's a lovely Voyager, and, and Gregor's his First Contact, I mean, this is a visual, a, representation of infinite diversity and he's absolutely right you know you, you can you can have a beef with something but but, but don't be an arse you know have a good rant about it but then go right what you have you know a cup of tea beer whiskey whatever and you know that that was a privilege thank you it, it reminds me of why i'm into star trek you know we're where no one has gone before and second star to the right straight on the morning so so thank you Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So, um, any final, any final words uh, on your chosen, your not chosen, your enforced subject? I might add. <laughs> I'm going to think. I'm just going to catch one that's going to trip you up one day. Honestly, it's it's going to be my mission in life to think of things to on the to what uh, to get you to talk about and see where I can trip you up. Anyway, um, do, we do we accept the animated series? <laughs> yeah, that's, ca that's canon, isn't it? Animated series. I was always confused because I remember watching it and I'd even think it's Carter Star Trek. Great. <laughs> that's something. Um, that's something. I think um, speaking to a lot of fans uh, that I've met over the over the last couple of years, um, it seems to be something that gets missed a lot. Does the animated series? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's something that uh, it's like some people honestly they're like, "There's an animated series." Um, and it's it's pretty good. Uh, I've watched a couple of them. I've never gone all the way through it, right enough. But uh, but yeah, and I've, I've I've not seen it since I was a kid. But someone suggested, and I've not done this yet, but I've all been doing it, is that the best way to watch animated series is just to listen to the audio. Oh, okay. Ah. Interesting one. So, uh, it, 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 it is on Netflix. That's the yeah. only reason I thought about it. It's on Netflix. I was like, wow, I haven't seen this in years. Well, um, we are we are digressing a little bit here. Um, so, any final words, uh, thoughts, or any additional, um, any anything else you want to add on the subject of fandom, Mr. Cameron? Mm. 
No. Um, I mean, I could go on about stuff all day. <laughs> I could go on about stuff all night um, with you guys, but I, I, you know, I think I'd just like to see more fans accept that it's okay to disagree. Not everyone has to like every reiteration or every form of Star Trek or every character in Star Trek or every captain or every first officer. You don't have to like everything. Never a truer word spoken. I think that is a perfect time to um, to end that particular train of thought. And uh, I don't know if you agree with me on this one, Stephen, but I think I actually managed to pick a subject that uh, Gregor was pretty quiet about. Um, normally, we're <laughs> trying to shut him up because he's talking about discovery. Um, yeah. Don't um, ask me about salt. threshold. Can oh. I talk about threshold? <laughs> don't know <laughs> favorite bone to play with is the episode threshold from voyager um it's a we, classic we, it's an absolute classic we almost almost made it through an entire episode without him mentioning threshold yes we were so close <laughs> ironically gregor i was just about to congratulate you on getting through an entire episode without mentioning but there you go it's um Oh, um, yeah. Oh, I had, I, I was almost, I was, oh, that's just, it's like, it's, it's, it's like that horse at the Grand National, the one that you bet on, the outsider is making it to the last hurdle and it's the last hurdle, bang, there he goes. You know, that's it. Um, on that, on that. See, I like, I like Threshold, I love it, brilliant. On, on that particular subject, I think that is a wonderful, wonderful time to close things up uh, for this episode <laughs> of Spock the Week. Um, we do hope you enjoyed uh, what you've seen. Uh, and if you have, please let us know. Um, we would be happy to hear your comments uh, and any suggestions you might have. Um, so, yeah, um, we'll let you know as soon as possible when we will get the next episode out. Um, so... On that note, I'd like to thank Gregor Cameron and Stephen Serfelbane for joining me this evening. Uh, and we'll see you very, very soon for another episode of Spot the Week. Live long and prosper. Good night. Thank you.